Welcome to Season 3 of the Reformed Informants Podcast, featuring T.J. Darty, the Senior Pastor at Central Baptist Church in Paris, Kentucky, and Lance Burroughs, Pastoral Assistant at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. We want to welcome you to the Reformed Informants. This is a podcast devoted to biblical exposition, systematic theology, and practical application for the good of the church. I'm Lance Burroughs. I'm TJ Darty, And we are the Reformed Informants. And the technical difficulties over here, man, are at large and loose. We're, what, 30 minutes into this episode as of nine <laughs> seconds of recording? So... Hopefully we got it all ironed out now. Yeah, man. You know, what you guys aren't seeing on the other end here is that the the, the program that we're using to, to record these episodes, the record button in comparison to like the leave the meeting button, there's no comparison in size. I mean, I can barely see the record button, but to leave the recording session, it's gigantic. And literally, I mean, I keep hitting leave. It's It's getting ridiculous. Yeah, all I ever hear is, "All right, we're gonna hit record here," and then he just bounces out of the out of the out of the meeting. So it's it tends to take a while to to actually start recording. So yeah, man, but, that, but hopefully honestly, we're good now. Yeah, that last one was legit. I'm like, "All right, man, we're gonna hit record," <laughs> and I for real, 0.5 seconds later, hit leave. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, well, let, let's let's get rolling before this thing you know goes off the rails uh, yet again. So what what what's ha- what's happening for for this episode here? Yeah, man. Well, uh, we decided, you know, a week ago when we started, or at least when we recorded the first episode for the summer for season three, um, initially we thought that that episode was just going to be a one, uh, a one episode, little standalone uh, recording. But but then really a few hours before you and I were texting back and forth and we decided, hey, look, man, let's just do a mini summertime series on a call for biblical worship, a call for biblical worship. So I, we're going to do that for the next few weeks. We haven't really put a stopping point on that. I, I would guess probably five or six episodes max. Um, but yeah, man, we're going to pick right back up where we left off um, with a call for biblical worship part two. Yeah, and in, in particular, man, I'm I'm really excited about this because we've got uh, you know we ran through in the first episode. So if you if you missed that first episode of season three, uh, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that one first. But in that one, we we uh, walked through the regulative principle, which outlines and details the elements of worship as um, as prescribed in Scripture. And so, w- what I think that we have plans to do, and again, we haven't really ironed all the details out, but is to, to kind of go back through uh, those elements and and have discussions on them. And so, it, it's fitting, I think, when we consider the elements or the components of worship uh, that we begin with preaching. Because of all the the elements, all the components of a a regularly gathered uh, body of believers uh, for corporate worship, uh, the preaching of the word stands supreme uh, in that gathering. And so, with that being said, that that lends itself to being uh, the focal point of, of this episode. So, um, I'm really excited. Uh, I know you and I both have a, a heart for preaching. Um, both of you, both of us are trying to improve in our preaching, 
but man, it is a joy. And so uh, looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, this is episode 67, A Call for Biblical Worship, part two. And we, we, we've titled this this episode, A Case for Expository Preaching. A Case for Expository Preaching. So uh, what we want to articulate here is the biblical teaching on the teaching of or preaching of the Word of God. Um, so to, to lay that foundation or that framework, TJ, I want you to kick us off here by defining expository preaching. Because although uh, expository preaching and that terminology and this type of preaching, this style of preaching, I guess you could say, um, it, it's familiar for some of us, but it may not be so familiar to others um, that are listening to the podcast. So I, I want you to lay a foundation, give us a definition and uh, what that framework looks like. Yeah, uh, expository preaching. Uh, also, at times you may hear the phrase or the term expositional preaching, which is the same thing. Um, but expository preaching, the, the simplest way I can define it is that the definition is in the name. It is expository, which means that the purpose of the preaching is to expose the meaning of the text, yeah. right? That's what expository preaching is. And so uh, it, it's taking a passage of Scripture— it's reading it, it's explaining what it means, and then it's showing or demonstrating how that applies uh, to the Christian. And so um, that, that's essentially what it is. Um, I, Mark, there, there are several definitions that have floated around out there. I like Mark Dever def defines it this way. He says, uh, an expositional or an expository sermon takes the main point of a passage of Scripture and makes it the main point of the sermon and then applies it to life today. Um, or another way he, uh, he puts it, he says, it's the mode of preaching which takes as its central object the reading and the explanation of the biblical text in such a way, this is the key, that the text determines the substance and the structure of the sermon. What, what, what would you add? Man, those de I appreciate Dever's definitions because I think he, man, he succinctly captures the essence of expository preaching or expositional preaching. And like you said, TJ, we'll use those words interchangeably mm -hmm. throughout this episode. But uh, I mean, expository preaching is just that. It's reading the text, explaining the text, and then applying the text. In other words, the, the, the expository sermon is text-driven. Right. It's not personality-driven. Um, it's not culturally-driven. Um, it, 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 it is born out of the scripture, but, but it, it's not only born out of the scripture, it continues to, to grow in the yes. scripture, you know, uh, to keep, to keep going with that illustration there. Yeah. And, and one of Dever's definitions there, when he talks about that, the text determines both the substance and the structure of the sermon, I think that's a critical element of, of expository preaching. In other words, when you're preaching a text, um, like, for instance, I, I'll just use it by way of illustration. Just this past Sunday, I preached a, a passage out of Genesis, and my subdivisions or the points of the sermon were driven by, were determined by what the text, how the text breaks down. So I was preaching Genesis 3, 1 to 13, and there are five verses of dialogue, three verses of narrative, five verses of dialogue. So when I 
walked through that text in my sermon, that's how I divided the sermon. I let the text naturally divide for me. Sometimes there's two divisions. Sometimes there's six divisions. Sometimes there are no divisions. Uh, sometimes it's three. Uh, but you let the text determine the structure, the layout, and then you just let the text guide. Um, I, I can't remember who this was that, that said this. It was probably Steve Lawson or, or, or someone else, but said uh, uh, a- after he got done preaching a text one time, Someone came up to him after the service and said, uh, "said preacher, I really appreciate what you did, but uh, that was that was really simple. I, I could do that. All you do is read the Bible and then tell us exactly what it says." And he said that he had accomplished his goal. Like that's what it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be any kind of commentary. It's just a, read it and then tell the people what it means. Yeah. yeah, man, that cl- classic Steve Lawson. If if you're listening to this podcast and you don't know who Steve Lawson is, man, you, you got to get on YouTube, yeah. uh, YouTube Steve Lawson. Um, he, he's got some seminary courses that he's taught out at the Master's Seminary uh, that are available online. Of course, he has hundreds and hundreds of other expository sermons that you can find on YouTube as well. Um, yeah, man, um, classic yeah. Lawson. Uh, yeah. So TJ, you mentioned it earlier. Uh, expositional preaching means to expose mm-hmm. the meaning of the text to, to expose what the Bible actually says and, and, and what it means. Um, so yeah, I mean, g- give me, give me an example, um, of what expository preaching would look like when we talk about verse by verse exposition. Okay, verse by verse exposition or verse by verse expository preaching. What 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 do we mean by that? Yeah, so you can have any sermon can be expository in the sense that any sermon can aim to expose meaning, can aim to to teach uh, the biblical message as it is presented in Scripture. Uh, but the primary means, and you, you hit this with this phrase, verse by verse exposition. So the primary means by which preaching should occur, we're going to argue, and by and the primary me- means by which expository preaching is best accomplished is through verse-by-verse verse exposition. It's walking through books of the Bible as they've been written and letting the text determine uh, the content of the message. And, and the best way to do that is to examine the text, and the text is presented to us as a series of verses within a larger book. And so, in other words, if I'm going to aim to present the meaning of Scripture, then I need to read a passage of Scripture and then explain what that passage means. And the only way I can do that is if I examine every verse in its context. So um, so I, I think you could say there are ways in which you could structure expository sermons outside of this, but the, the traditional, the bread and butter, the, the main means by which this would occur is by going through a sequence of verses. So, you know, the first Sunday, it'd be, you know, chapter one verses one to wherever the text division is one to five. And then the next week it's six to nine. And then the next week it's 10 to 12 and then so on and so forth. And so it's sequential verse by verse exposition. That's what we would advocate for uh, when we speak of expository preaching. Agree, disagree, comments? Yeah, yeah. I, w- I would add to that, you know, when when we think about the Bible, and this may take us back to our bibliology series, you know, a, a couple years back, um, 
when we think about the Bible, we we didn't get all 66 books at one time. And in other words, yes, it is one large book that has one large theme, but I mean, we have 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, and the picking and choosing of different places or portions of Scripture to just randomly go to, that that's not even how the Bible was delivered right. to us. The Bible was delivered to us in individual books. Right. Um, so, I mean, I mean, just practically speaking, you know, you wouldn't treat an email this mm. way. You wouldn't treat a text message thread this way. You would read the entirety of the email. You would read the entirety of the text message, and you wouldn't just pick and choose that email. Um, now I know that's not a perfect illustration, but uh, I mean, that's essentially what we're going at that's here right. with expository preaching. It's the verse by verse teaching of entire books because that's exactly how they that's came. Right. Like uh, j- just one quick example. Uh, I think it's at the end of Colossians chapter four, Paul tells the Colossians to read this letter out loud and then to also read another From letter out out loud. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I mean, I mean, this is why we're doing this episode. It's a case for expository preaching, right? right? Uh, so we ultimately want to build that case and show you this is what the Bible That's does. Right. Yeah. So all our cards on the table. This is where we're going to go, right? We, we're we're going to try to make the case so that, but from this point until the time the episode ends, we hope that you are convinced that this is the primary means. Uh, by which preaching should be done. Now, it's not the only means. Uh, there are times where it would make sense uh, to specifically address other things, and, and we'll talk about those in just a minute. But uh, but primarily, we're going to advocate for sequential verse by verse exposition. Now, Lance, let me let me ask you. Let me toss it your way, because as you mentioned, some some listeners may this this may be new content, maybe a new term, never even heard of expository preaching. Um, and maybe, maybe their pastor uh, preaches verse by verse sequential um, sermons through books of the Bible, but maybe they don't. And so, uh, let me let me just kind of toss this conversation out there. What other types of sermons are there? So we're, we're talking about sequential expository, exposing the meaning of the text in its context through books of the Bible. But what there are other ways to preach. So what other types of sermons might there be? Any uh, pros, cons, advantages, disadvantages of some of those other ones? Anything come to mind? Yeah, I mean, you could throw into the mix topical or thematic sermons. Um, unfortunately, you see such an abuse of this throughout the American church that guys like us, um, when, when we hear topical or, or thematical, man, we, we kind of cringe because we've seen how topical and thematical sermons have been abused and continue to be abused. However, there is a place for topical or thematical sermons, and you can still expose or exegete mm-hmm. or uh, exposit the scripture uh, in, in a thematic way. Uh, I mean, I would just give one example. In the college group right now at Countryside, we're doing a summertime series called uh, Relationships Matter from the book of Proverbs. So we're picking out themes in Proverbs. Uh, you know, for example, the one that I did was, what's the believer's relationship to money? Mm. Okay, so it was essentially a, a topical or thematic sermon on money. Um, but it was text-driven. Right. 
um, it, it was framed through the book of Proverbs and other portions of Scripture to develop how a Christian should see money and what the application of that should be. So, I mean, you can do topical, thematical sermons, but they must be text-driven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we would argue that that's not the primary means, right? Like that's not the primary way in which if you were to go to that college ministry every single Sunday for five years, you're not going to hear the majority of them be topical sermons. The majority of them would be expository, sequential verse by verse. I mean, that's the the same could be said. So you mentioned topical or thematic sermons. I, I would, maybe this is a subset of that, but I would also identify like doctrinal sermons. So uh, preaching right now, preaching verse by verse through the book of Genesis. But very early on, we are introduced to the concept of the Trinity. Now, Moses didn't fully articulate that because it was Genesis. It's the beginning of biblical revelation. And so he mentions the spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters. He he mentions, let us make man in our image. These are, these are whispers in chapter one of Genesis of the Trinity, but that's not fully explained until the New Testament. So when I got to those verses, what I did was I pressed pause for a particular Sunday and I developed from the rest of scripture, uh, the filling that shows us, Hey, this is actually uh, a, an allusion to the Trinity. Uh, and so I stopped and taught the doctrine of the Trinity in the middle of sequential exposition. So I think there's a a play to be made there. I think it's possible to do that. Uh, but if that's all I ever preached, then, uh, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but if that's all I ever preached, that's the only way I ever preach, uh, that I'm doing a disservice to the way that the Bible has been revealed to us, uh, in the verse by verse fashion. Yeah, man. So again, you're, you're talking about that that's healthy, biblical, topical, or doctrinal preaching. Okay. Um, so uh, a different category of this topical or thematic preaching, just by way of example, would be, I know a guy that was pastoring a church, and this is, he, he told me this probably six or seven years ago, but on, on Mother's Day, he happened to be reading a secular magazine and decided, hey, look, this magazine talks about ten, uh, 10 ways that you can treat your mother, you know, nicely. Mm-hmm. I can't remember exactly what he said. So he built his sermon off of a secular magazine and those 10 points. Wow. That type of thematical sermon, that type of topical sermon, we, we are completely against. That's not text driven. That's like magazine culture driven. <laughs> right. And so the like you said, that that's why we cringe because we hear those types of stories and the safeguards come from the verse by verse sequential exposition. Because if I'm doing that, it doesn't matter what any magazine says, I'm letting the text determine what I'm going to say. Um, so any other types of sermons that you would, that you would want to pull out? I mean, we could, we could go for a long time. And, and um, the, I was just listening to last week's episode when you, you mentioned that allusion to the book of judges where everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. If you go to a church uh, just stop at a random church here uh, in America in the 21st century, you're, you're going to hear all kinds of types of sermons. And I don't mean to suggest that we can just tightly identify them into one, two, or three categories. I think there's a broad spectrum here. Um, but obviously we're trying to make the case for expository preachers. But uh, are there any other, I don't know, comments that you'd like to make on the the types of sermons you see otherwise? Oh man, I mean you're right. I mean we could go, we could go on and on. Honestly, if if you're if you're not if you're listening and you're not from the Dallas Fort Worth area, 
man, you can Google a lot of churches around here that have done some wild things to try and promote and draw in a crowd that has nothing to do with verse by verse, sequential exposition of the word of God, man. I mean, (laughs) it's wild, but I'm going to, I want to send it back to you, um, TJ, because I I want you to, to give us a prime example of what we're talking about as far as the, these churches uh, doing what's right in their own eyes yeah. from the pulpit, as opposed to what we're arguing yeah, for. Yeah, I, I think I know what you're alluding to. So <clears throat> the question that, that we're going to essentially seek to answer with the rest of this episode is which style of sermon then is best? We've got these other types of sermons. Uh, you have these different approaches to preaching. Uh, we've laid our cards on the table already. Uh, but but there are obviously there are a, a a lot of guys that are preaching differently, and so the the question then becomes: Is there a case to be made for sequential expository preaching? Because I, I'll be honest, it, it really feels like there's not a whole lot of it going on. It, it feels like your church, my church, we're in the minority, and so so we want to ask that question. Well, in 2009, uh, so little more than a decade ago. Uh, Ed Stetzer of Lifeway, he interviewed Andy Stanley. Now, if you don't know who Andy Stanley is, he's a very prominent pastor, uh, North Point Community Church in the Atlanta area, uh, seeker-sensitive church. He said some very uh, incendiary things lately, just seems to find himself in the middle of of controversy when it comes to conservative evangelical, uh, theological, doctrinal preaching, things of that sort. But Ed Stetzer asked Andy Stanley, what do you think about preaching verse-by-verse messages through books of the Bible? And listen to what Andy Stanley said. He said this, I'm quoting, guys that preach verse-by-verse through books of the Bible, that's just cheating. He said it's cheating because that would be easy, first of all. Now, I'm going to pause there. Andy Stanley clearly hasn't preached verse by verse through the Bible because if he had, he would know it's not easy. It's incredibly difficult a lot of, in a lot of ways. But then he said this. He said, that's not how you grow people. No one in the scripture modeled that. There's not one example of it. So that, that was the claim that he made. Lance, t- take it off of me before I, before I get going too far. What, what, what are your thoughts there? Well, I mean, what's wild, man, is, you know, I've seen that interview and heard that quoted multiple times, but every time I have to pick my jaw (laughs) up off of the floor, man, I mean, mean, some of those statements, you know, are are, are just so ignorant, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, blatantly um, ignorant of of the scripture. and just just not true, not even accurate, man. Like just to bounce off the the last couple statements that he made, that's not how you grow people. Well, I mean, Jesus in John seventeen seventeen said, "Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth." So Jesus literally said, mm-hmm. "This is how you grow people by your word." Yeah. <laughs> and then the, then the idea that no one in Scripture modeled that is on dude. That is so baffling. It, that I, I mean, I, I don't even have to make a comment because we've got, honestly, we have enough material here to record four or five episodes right. that refute that with just, I don't know, f- taking verses at face right. value. Exactly. So that being said, obviously, here here we go, right? We're going to make a case for expository preaching. And, and I want to do this under four headings. 
Okay, so we're going to make a biblical argument, a theological argument, a historical argument, and then a practical argument. And we're going to go, and, and those are kind of uh, intentionally weighted. Uh, we're putting the heavy hitter up front, and then we're going to supplement as we go. So let's just start, man. Biblical argument. The, the claim was made. There's not a single example of it. I'm confident that, that is going to be easily refuted. So I'm going to, I'm going to pass it to you. Where do you want to go first? We, we got we got a handful of really really clear examples. So I'm I'm going to let you take it away. Where where do you want to go? Yeah, l- l- let me first say you know to our listeners, hey, w- w- again we've got a-, a lot of content to roll through, a lot of comments we can make about some passages, a lot of you know things that we'll just have to not say and mm-hmm. skip over. So let me challenge you to go back to these references. Uh, open up your own Bible and and look at these things yourself, and you'll see that's good. <laughs> that expository preaching is the pattern. So, I mean, to to kick this off, man, we we would go back to the first author of Scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would go back to, all the way to the Old Testament to see this pattern. We'd start with mm-hmm. Moses. Um, you know, so you could go to Exodus chapter twenty four, uh, verse seven. Uh, it talks about Moses taking the book of the covenant, Moses taking the law and reading it in the hearing of the people, reading it in the hearing of the people. Now, there's roughly, a conservative estimate, there's roughly two million people with Moses in the wilderness at this point of the narrative, and Moses is reading, uh, he's reading the book of the law out loud to the people, mm-hmm. okay? But not only is that happening, the, the people respond by saying, Look, whatever the Lord has spoken, we will do. We will be obedient. So within that, that's what, I mean, you can see the reading of the text, the explaining of the text, and then the applying or the doing of the text. I mean, we see that in Exodus 24-7 with Moses. And I mean, that's right. <laughs> they're out in the wilderness and he's preaching verse yeah, by verse. And, and well, you, you, you alluded to this, but when it says that he read the book of the covenant, you, you said this already when you mentioned like an email or te- like implied in this there's no other way to understand it other than he read it in order he he read from the beginning and he went we did they have verses not the way we do today but he simply read sequentially from the beginning to the end and the people responded in such a way as to suggest that he read it he explained to the point to where they understood what it meant and then he he gave them instructions on how to apply it and so the people said this is what we will do. Uh, in fact, you, you mentioned Moses and you mentioned the beginning of the Old Testament. You go to the book of Deuteronomy. I think you alluded to this last episode, but the, Duke, the book of Deuteronomy is itself a, a sermon. I mean, it, Deuteronomy means uh, second law, but really it's, it's an explanation of the law, right? It, it's, it's, a, it's an exposition of what God has revealed in the law. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 5, this is what it says. It says, Beyond the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain this law, saying, and then it records his sermon throughout the book of Deuteronomy. So that in and of itself is an explanation. Uh, it's a, it's a, a sequential sermon. That's why you have the repetition in Deuteronomy. It's because he's going back through it, he's reading it, and then he's explaining it to the people. Yeah, man, I, I like what you said uh, about Deuteronomy. I mean, I, I think that we need to understand 
uh, what, what Deuteronomy essentially is. And I'm just bouncing off your shoulders here, TJ. But I mean, Deuteronomy is an expository sermon. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's, it, it's working through the law of God again with, with even greater detail and, and, and greater explanation. So, I mean, you quoted from Deuteronomy 1.5 that, that Moses undertook to explain this law. So, so back in Exodus, he's reading the law to the people. And, and then here in Deuteronomy, it says that he's explaining the law. Now, in both passages, it is implied that he, he, he's doing both of those in, in both right. situations here. Right. That's right. And then I, I, I love this, too, because at the end of Deuteronomy, so you, you get to, so we, we've have, we have Moses now who has explained the law, he has read the law, and we have this this pattern that's been established, but that pattern is now going to be repeated because at the end of Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy chapter 33, uh, he is speaking to the tribe of Levi. Beginning in verse 8, it says, and, and of Levi, he said, give to Levi and gives these instructions. But then in verse 10, speaking about them, he says, they shall teach Jacob, meaning Israel, your rules and your law. They shall put incense before you and your whole burnt offerings on your altar. And so this was part of the responsibility of the Levitical priests in the Old Testament, right? Not only were they to administer sacraments, but when they go into the promised land, so th- this these instructions here in Deuteronomy are the final words. Uh, in fact, in the just the next chapter, it records Moses's death, and then they're going to in the next book in Joshua, they're going to enter into the promised land. So these are the instructions, and the instructions are that each of the tribes is to receive a portion of the land. But remember that the tribe of Levi doesn't. They don't have their mm. own land. And the reason is because they are to spread out and to live throughout the land of Israel so that each Sabbath they could teach the people the word of God. That was their responsibility. They were going to read and then explain the law to the people. This was the ministry of the priest, and it was ongoing. And that pattern was established by Moses, and then it's to be repeated by the priest for the nation of Israel. God, come on, dude. Come on with it. Goodness gracious. That, that is, you know, we, some, we sometimes we lose sight of the double duty that the priests mm-hmm. uh, were, were instructed to fulfill. Man, we, we get so focused on their participation in the sacrificial system, which right. obviously is a major major category of Old Testament Scripture and even in connection with Christ. However, like you just pointed out, man, those guys were the exegetes. They, That's right. They were the pastors. They were the preachers, they were the readers and the teachers of God's word. And man, dude, I'm so glad you mentioned that detail uh, of the priests being dispersed amongst all of the mm-hmm. tribes to fulfill the sacrificial duties and the teaching of the law of God duties. I mean, that dude, that is so overlooked in this conversation. 
That's right. And it's it's what what we're showing, what we're hoping to demonstrate here is there's a pattern that's established. This is this is ordinary. This is the means by which the word of God is taught to the people. It is read and it is explained. And and it's done implied in this through sequential verse by verse exposition. Now, of of all of those texts, I, I think that those those references in the Old Testament are are strong. But I think there's like the clear cut when like when I pre I preach a sermon aiming to demonstrate this and the text that I think most clearly marks this out for us is from Nehemiah chapter eight. I think you've you've referenced this before. Uh, I wish we had time to read the whole thing. I thought about it, but I, I don't think it would be uh, the best use of our time because there's so much more to say. But in Nehemiah chapter eight. Um, it says that all the people of Israel gathered as one man into the square and Ezra, they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses. that The Lord had commanded Israel. Again, there's an allusion back. This is the book that's established and referenced in Exodus 24. It's the book that's completed with the, uh, the series of sermons in Deuteronomy. It is the book of the law that the priests were to teach the people. This is the same book. This is the Bible. It's the word of God. And so the Ezra brings it to the assembly and all who could, they were gathered together as one man. You had men, you had women, you, you had children. And then verse three, he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. So about five to six hours, he would read from it. And it says in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand all the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. So there's there's an, an, a discussion here about understanding. And it said that Ezra stood on a wooden platform that they had made for this purpose. So there's this visual. He, he's elevated and he's reading in the sight of all the people. And then I, I want to jump down to verse 8 because this, this is the statement. They read from the book. So it lists out some of the other priests who were there with him. And verse 8 says, They read from the book from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. So what are they doing? They're reading it, and they're explaining it, and then they're making it applicable to the people. I don't know how it gets more clear than that. Yeah, man, Nehemiah chapter 8, I mean, it is the foundational text. I would say the foundational um, Old Testament text on expository preaching. Of course, we saw it with Moses and Deuteronomy. That carries over into Joshua, by the way, uh, with Joshua, right. Moses's replacement. If you read the book of Joshua, you'll see that he expounds the word of God over and over and over to the people. And then when you get here with Ezra, man, and <laughs> Nehemiah chapter 8, man, it's just full-blown explosion of expository preaching. I, I think Ezra chapter 7 uh, verse 6 uh, factors into the equation here. Let me read that. This Ezra came up from Babylon, and he was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. And then down in verse 10, Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, for Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it, and here you go, and to teach the statutes and of and ordinances in Israel. Mm. I mean this this was uh I mean th th this is what Ezra <laughs> what, what was sent to do. 
That's right. This was the job of a scribe. We talked about that with the priest. We talked about that now here with Ezra being a scribe to expound the word of God. Now, I think I would add here quickly, and uh, we don't have time to develop this, but if you go back and read through Chronicles, Kings, and Samuel, you'll see that God's prescribing the kings of the nations to adhere to the word of God. Like this mm-hmm. isn't, <laughs> I mean, this is all encompassing, man. It's the word of God preached and the word of God applied that you see, it, man, it's a thread all through scripture. That's right. And it's and it's done in such a way, and I, I hope that this has been clear, but it's done in such a way that it is read like it, you read the text, and by reading the text, you're not plucking individual sentences all over the place and just putting them together in some kind of hodgepodge, you know, uh, kaleidoscope, you know, whatever you've got, just all these elements. Like, no, this is a sequential reading, and then it's a sequential explanation. That's what they're doing. They're reading the text as it is presented to them, and then they're explaining it to the people. Uh, and that's all we're advocating for. That's what biblical exposition is. And when you run out of time, whether it's during the day, whether it's a Sunday, where then you just come back and you pick up in the next verse. You, you just continue. You, you read and you explain. And then when you get to the end of it, you just start over and you continue uh, because the Word of God is always uh, applicable. So, uh, so that being said, Lance, we, we've hopefully made a case. We've spent some time on this, but we've made a case from the Old Testament. But is the Old Testament the only place that we see this? Or do we have the same pattern uh, showing up in the New Testament? Do you have any any other references that you might want to point to? Yeah, man, the Old Testament, oh, gosh, dude, it's just wetting the appetite here, man. I mean, <laughs> we're, you know, we're, we're, we're just heating up the pot here. In reality, when you get to the New Testament, not only does this pattern continue, but it's continued by our Lord Jesus Christ himself. Mm. Um you know, so it, let's just say hypothetically the Old Testament doesn't speak on this at all. Jesus does this so often that he clearly sets this as the pattern for preaching the Word of God. That's right. Yeah, Jesus. Jesus. This is this is how he preached. Uh, Lance, I, I know you're probably going to take us there. Luke chapter four. Any any thoughts or comments from there? Yeah, I mean Luke chapter four uh, would be the classic text to go to. I, I think to kick off. Uh, Jesus' preaching and teaching ministry, because not only is it an explicit passage that demonstrates Jesus standing up, reading an Old Testament scroll from the, the prophet Isaiah, explaining that text, and giving a sense of that text to people in the synagogue. But not only that, not, not only that, uh, Bible commentators argue that Luke chapter 4 is basically a template for the remainder of Jesus's ministry. It's, it's mm. a template. It's a framework. In other words, this is what Jesus did in Galilee. <laughs> right, right. So and explicitly, Luke tells us, chapter 4 begins with the temptation of, of Jesus. He's out in the wilderness. When he returns, verse 14 of Luke chapter 4, says, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And then verse 15, and he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. So Luke is essentially saying, this is what he did. He went to the synagogues. And then like you mentioned, there's there's one recording of him coming and having this scroll, verse 20, 
he, he reads the scroll. And then verse 20 says, he rolled up the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. So there, there was this, this S the sense in which, okay, that was the day's scripture. That was, that was the, uh, the text uh, the portion of the Old Testament uh, writings which were to be discussed or to be analyzed, to be preached that day. And so he read that text, and then he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, he sat down, and it says that all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him, and then verse 21, and he began to say to them. In other words, this is not the whole sermon, but this is what he, he essentially, Luke says, and he began to explain this text in such a way that he revealed that that prophetic text of Isaiah was actually about himself. And so he reads it, he explains it, and then he demonstrates how it applies to him. And as you mentioned, Lance, that is the template. That's what we see. And it says that he taught in their synagogues, plural. This is what he did. Yeah, man, this is this is literally what he did for three and a half years. And if you go through the major sermons of Jesus in the New Testament, you will see that he does this. I mean, he he, he this this is the pattern for Jesus, going back to the Old Testament scripture, reading it, preaching it, and teaching it. Um, or yeah, reading, preaching, teaching, and then applying it. Um, right. I mean. <laughs> Again, I don't think we have time to cover all these situations, but I mean, just, I mean, you could throw the Sermon on the Mount into the mix right here. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. Jesus in Matthew 5, 17 through 20 basically says, look, the, the law and the prophets, yeah, I, that, that is the text. And I didn't come to abolish it, but to fulfill it, oh yeah, by the way, teach it. And then he works through several portions of scripture in the Sermon on the Mount. Same thing, right. reading, explaining, applying. That's right. Over and over, uh, the 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 New Testament continues. Uh, like you said, man, we we could do this for a long time. But the, the the last reference I think worth mentioning now before we move on to the other arguments would be Acts chapter two. Um, you have you have a very memorable sermon with Peter, which Peter preaches at Pentecost. But many times people forget that Peter first reads the text of scripture. He he reads Joel chapter 2. He reads from the prophet uh Joel chapter 2 verses 28 to 32 and then he explains what it meant. Uh and in particular what Peter does is he demonstrates that that text actually points to the person the prophecy of Jesus Christ. And so uh what he's doing is he's giving the sense of the text uh, for his hearers to understand this was ultimately really about Jesus. What's he do? He reads it, then he explains it, and then there's application at the end because the people say, what must we do to be saved? And he gives them the gospel, uh, repent and be baptized, uh, you and your children also. So that that's the pattern, and it's, a, it's laid out for us right up front in the establishment of the early church in Acts chapter 2. Dude, I mean... <laughs> Man, the whole the book of Acts, the book of Acts. If the book of Acts was the only portion of Scripture that we had that right. spoke on this issue, man, it it would be abundantly clear. I mean, you go to Acts seven, Stephen. I mean, literally, Acts chapter seven is an expository sermon of the entire Old Testament. Mm -hmm. You get to Acts chapter eight, the Ethiopian eunuch dude is going from Isaiah fifty three, Philip, right? He's. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And then you get to the back half of the book of Acts, and constantly Paul is reasoning and preaching and teaching from the Scripture. I mean, you from cannot avoid it. That's right. That's right. So to put a cap, to put a bow on this one, 
So we're, we're trying to make the case for expository preaching, preaching, verse by verse, sequential argumentation and exposing of the meaning of the text. And the first argument, the first kind of uh, peg, the first rung in the ladder is is that it is a the pattern that has been established uh, from the Old Testament all the way to the New. Uh, it's what we see in Scripture. The ministry of the preaching of the Word is to be done so that the Word of God is read, and then the preacher gives the sense so that the people understand. That That's what we see in Scripture, right? So, so number one, the biblical argument, this is what we see. That's the pattern we see. Um, Lance, number two, you alluded to this earlier, so I'm going to let you uh, kind of take this one. Um, is a theological argument. So not only do we see this pattern in Scripture, but we also, because we affirm from our, you know, we talked about this in the Bibliology series, but because we affirm the inspiration of Scripture, this also means that this would uh, lend us to to doing sequential verse-by-verse exposition. Why is that? Unpack that for us a little bit. Yeah, we've mentioned, I think, all throughout the podcast how important 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 is, that all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable. All mm-hmm. Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, it goes on to mm-hmm. say. And not only that, we would, we, we've would we lifted up 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, that all, that all Scripture is inspired of God. So we hold to... Every jot and tittle, every stroke of that pen that, that uh, has written every word on the, the pages of Holy Scripture, we, we believe that to all be from God. Therefore, it matters. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It matters. God gave it for a reason. I mean, there's a specific reason why he gave every letter in Scripture. And because of that, theologically speaking, and because we're talking about this on this episode, that means we must read it and we must preach it and explain it. That's right. And 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 that we must do that without skipping anything. We must you talked earlier like God didn't God God revealed the scripture to us through a a variety of authors and a multitude of genres and we've got all of this this cohesive story that has been placed together uh, over the course of centuries. And yet we, we tend to suggest that we know better. Like God didn't really reveal it to us well enough. So we need, what we need to do is we need to like unpack it and repackage it and put it together the way that we want. No, God put it together this way. So let's explain the text as he gave it to us. Uh, This is the way. And because like you said, because every single syllable of Scripture has been breathed out by God. We don't skip it. We don't just say, hey, you know, I'm just going to camp out on my favorite passages over here, or I want to pick my favorite topics in this way, or this is what I think the church needs. No, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit knows what the church needs. The Holy Spirit has inspired um, all of Scripture for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So it, it's... It is sufficient, and it has been inspired, so preach it, and preach it as it has been given to us. Dude, that just made me think of a quote from John Stott, a 20th century pastor theologian. Man, he said, if it isn't expository preaching, then it isn't Christian. 
Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, dude, that, I mean, he's like, if it's not expository preaching, if it's not Bible explanation, then it isn't even Christian. Like, hmm. dude, and, and, and I agree with that. Um, uh, be, because this is the pattern we see biblically speaking, but this is also the theological argument that you make. <laughs> right. If you're not That's explaining right. God's word, you're not doing Christian preaching. That's exactly right. And man, I love that. I was a little nervous whenever you, you were going to quote, so I was afraid you're going to pull D.A. Carson there, but you, <laughs> you, you, you got that, you got that nailed down. So well done. Um, now, oh, dude, it's, it's funny. Hold now, on, man. It's funny. Like, <laughs> Because right when I was about to unleash that quote, dude, I'm thinking D.A. Carson, D.A. Carson, <laughs> D.A. Carson. Well, you know, there, there's a there's a place for proof texting in this conversation, but I think we better hold off on that. Yeah. So, um, so okay, so we again, we could spend more time here, and we could there are more theological arguments that can be made, um, yeah. but for the sake of time, that because that is so weighty. Let, let's continue. So we've talked about the biblical argument. We've talked about the theological argument. Now let's talk about the historical argument. So th- this is one of the things that we try to do on the podcast. We don't want to, we don't want to stand out on an Island. Uh, we, we recognize that faithful men who have gone before us have set a pattern, uh, as, which they are following from scripture as we've seen, but this is not a new invention. This is not something that the church has come up with in the past 20 years that we're just trying to, uh, to be unique or cutting edge or, or fitting to, into our culture or whatever else. Now, this is the pattern that we've seen uh, throughout Scripture. Now, we can't cover 2,000 years of church history uh, without skipping over some important details. But, uh, Lance, I, I want you to start. Justin Martyr. Give me, give, me, give me the beginning. So, Justin Martyr, who is he? Why does he matter? What? what where does that conversation take us? Yeah, Justin Martyr was a second century uh, apologist. Um, he, uh, it, it, it's wild, man. But I mean, we have uh, his writings, you know, um, yeah. it's, it's, it's so great, man, through archaeological discoveries that we have writings from these guys, you know, uh, from, from 2000 years ago. Uh, but, but Justin Martyr, again, was a second century apologist. Um, but he he documents that the church was meeting on Sunday, that they were reading from the apostles or the prophets, um, and when when the reader would would, would cease to read, uh, there would be verbal instruction or exhortation after that particular reading. So I mean, we're talking about second century uh, church service, second yes. century worship service. Where right. man, these people are reading the text and they're explaining the text and applying the text. Yeah, I, I read that quote. Just read it again this week. I'd read it before, and it's amazing because I read that and I thought, well, that sounds like that sounds like what I do on Sunday mornings. You know, that sounds like what your pastor does on Sunday, and that's what they were doing in the second century. Uh, it, it's just that's what we see. Um, or and again, we could do this uh, for a long line of of uh, faithful preachers throughout um, throughout church history. But one of, one of my favorite quotes, uh, I can't even remember who I read this quote from. Um, but one one church historian made this comment about John Chrysostom, who is uh, also known as John the Golden Mouth. He was one of the most incredible preachers of his time. But this church historian observed that by far the largest number of his sermons were expository sermons. 
And on occasion, he, he would interrupt his uh, series. So he'd work verse by verse through books of the Bible. And occasionally, he, he would stop because he sensed that he needed to address a particular item or or, or topic or something for his church, uh, which is totally that I, I fall, find myself doing the same thing. I know your pastor does the same thing. Uh, but in principle, whenever he preached, he continued, he would finish a sermon, and then the next sermon would just continue uh, in the next uh, line of, of verses from a particular book. That's what uh, John Chrysostom did. That's the pattern uh, that we see uh, even from the early days. Yeah, and this really ignites during the time of the Reformation. And when you get to the time of the Reformation and there's a recovery of the gospel, there's a recovery of sola scriptura, there's a recovery of pre. I mean, the Reformation... <laughs> was a, a recovery or a reformation on so many fronts, on, on so many levels. But one mm-hmm. of those uh, levels or one of those categories would be expository preaching, verse by verse. So you, I mean, you get to guys like a, like a Martin Luther or a Zwingli or a Calvin. Um, and those guys are, I mean, they are preaching verse by verse, chapter by chapter, mm-hmm. dozens of sermons <laughs> through books of the Bible, um, yeah. w- w- which is wild. And we have so many of those. I mean, I think Baker Books has put out like an eight-volume uh, set on Luther's sermons. Um, yeah. uh, of course, you know, you've got John Calvin's commentaries, but you also have hundreds of his sermons that are in print. Uh, so there's a recapturing of that verse-by-verse preaching with those guys. Yeah, and I, I have to tell this story real quick. Uh, it's one of my favorites, but Calvin, at one point in his ministry, this is just baffling to me, that he preached every single day. He preached an hour-long sermon, and then twice he would preach two sermons on Sunday for an hour apiece. And he almost always taught consecutive verse-by-verse exposition through books of the Bible. And at one point he was, so he was in Geneva and he was preaching verse-by-verse. And I can't remember which book he was in. I think he was in Isaiah, uh, but he was preaching verse-by-verse and he um, had withheld, because of church discipline, he had withheld uh, communion from some some of the more prominent uh, men in the city. And they didn't like that. And so they ran him out of town. They banished him. And so he left, and he he thought he was never coming back. Uh, but three years later, uh, the Lord, through a series of providential events, led him back to Geneva. And when he went back into the pulpit, he all he did was he simply picked up on the last verse that he had preached uh, three years prior. Uh, and then a little bit later in his ministry, he had the same type of thing happen. He was sick for like a nine-month period. And when he came back, I mean, he just acted like he hadn't stepped out. He just went right back up to the next verse. I mean, that's the pattern that these men laid out for us. And I, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm baffled by it, and I'm incredibly encouraged by it because that's what they did. Yeah, I mean, speaking of John Calvin, um, and I, I know this episode is getting a little lengthy, uh, but, you know, a, a lot of people, when they hear that name, they get caught up on Calvinism and and predestination and and those topics which which is fine but a lot of people miss out on his preaching and teaching ministry through books of the bible i mean we are talking about i mean the dude was throwing down 200 plus plus sermons on the book of ezekiel 200 plus Mm -hmm. sermons on like a first and second kings you know i mean he i mean he was preaching that text 
verse by verse, and it didn't matter how many sermons or how many months or how many years he took. I mean, that's just what he did. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I should have put those statistics up here, man, just for uh, just for effect. But that's that's what that guy did, man. Yeah, if you don't know the the numbers on that, I'm sure uh, I'm sure you can go find those because it would be it, it'd be encouraging for you to to, to read through that. Um, after, after the, uh, the reformation, that pattern was just reignited and, uh, it continued in the work of the Puritans. They, they were, uh, c- continuous expository preaching through verse, uh, through, uh, books of the Bible. Uh, they left behind, uh, sermons, which were commentaries, uh, on books, chapters of scripture. I mean, that's just what they did. And that's continued even today. So, um, I, I love that we, we've used this phrase before, but we're just standing on the shoulders of the men who have come before us. And you could you can look back down uh, the hall of church history and you can just see every step of the way, every generation, uh, this pattern has existed. And there are faithful expositors of the word which are reading the text, explaining what it means, applying it to their people, and then the next week, coming to the very next set of verses and doing the same thing. This is what we see uh, throughout church history. And it's really only until only in recent church history that we've had this disruption uh, in the seeker sensitivity movement. And uh, this, as you mentioned, this book of judges mentality of everyone doing what is right in their own eyes. Uh, Previously, the pattern uh, that church history displayed for us was verse by verse sequential exposition. And uh, so we're just aiming to do what has been done uh, for, for centuries. Yeah, man, that's so good. Appreciate you saying that, man. It has been the pattern um, and it, it needs to be, I think, recovered again to some degree, you know, mm-hmm. dur- during this hour, dur- during our time. Man, so we've looked at a uh, biblical argument. We've looked at theological arguments, and again, there's more we could say about both of those categories. Uh, thirdly, we looked at church history. Of course, we could add more men in the mix there. Um, but fourthly, uh, just a practical argument. So, T, I'm going to swing it back to you and let you run through um, some practical arguments pretty quickly here. Um, okay. Just really to, to, to whet the appetite as far as practicality is concerned. Um, in, in other words, the, the arguments that you're going to make here aren't necessarily chapter verse explicit, but can be deduced, right? We've tried to advocate for that position here on the podcast. So take us off. Yeah. And, and I would just, one more thing I would add to that is this would, I would say that prudence and wisdom would suggest that this has real benefits for the church. Um, so even if, <laughs> even if the other arguments didn't hold like, which of course they do and they are heavy and weighty and they do hold. But even if they didn't, I still think you could make a case for verse by verse exposition just from the practical side, because it truly is uh, incredibly beneficial. So uh, I'm just going to kind of run through these bullet style uh, Lance hop in, make any comments along the way. So uh, number one, expository preaching verse by verse, it ensures the preaching will be Bible centered. It, it, it promises, it, it demands that the pastor preaches the Bible. Uh, if you do verse by verse exposition, you're not going to be preaching magazine articles about how to love your mother. Uh, number two, sequential verse by verse exposition guarantees that the preacher will preach more than he already currently knows. Thought, thoughts on that one, Lance? 
That's so true, man. That's so practical. And, it, it's wild, that, man. It, isn't it? Isn't it amazing? Because if you said, "Hey, I'm only going to preach," and I've seen this, I've been in churches where this was. I'm only going to preach topical sermons. Well, I'm just going to choose the topics that I'm familiar with. I'm just going to yep, choose. Yep. But when you're going verse by verse, it, it, I've seen this already. Like I'm learning as I go. And, and so um, as I preach and teach, I, I learn because I'm coming into new passages and texts that I wouldn't normally uh, run to. I, w- I would go to other passages. So it, it just guarantees that I'm going to be growing with my people. Uh, yeah, man. Uh, yeah, I would just I would add to that real quick because well, we all have a tendency to go to what we like. That's you right. Know? I mean, there are certain there there are certain areas of theology and maybe even books of the Bible that we just generally like more than others. That's not that the mm-hmm. other parts are bad, you know, or that we don't care. But yeah, I mean, it forces you to get out of your comfort zone and to not fall prey to just wanting to talk about the same thing week in and week out. That's right. I love that, and that's man. That's a uh, a good um, a good application for all of us. Uh, number three on the practical side, expository verse-by-verse preaching forces us to deal with all of Scripture, including difficult passages. So we all know that there are churches that just cherry-pick and they just stay away from those hot-button topics, whether they're cultural items or whether they're theological items. Hey, I don't want to talk about predestination. People get upset when I talk about that. I just won't preach it. But if you're preaching verse by verse and you come across the book of Ephesians or the book of Romans, you, you don't have a choice. The words are there. You got to preach it. So that that ensures that we will deal with what the scripture says and not just run around it, uh, which is good for everyone. Um, number four, expository preaching ensures that the Sunday morning sermon will remain relevant, or even, I I think maybe a better word would be timeless. So if you're preaching topical, cultural types of sermons, like in response to COVID-19, well, a hundred years from now, that sermon is not really going to mean much. But if you're preaching verse by verse through passages of scripture, a hundred years from now, that sermon still means something. Uh, because the text is timeless. And so, um, Lance, you mentioned, man, we can go back and look at Calvin's sermons and we can learn from them. I mean, that just goes back to the Word of God being timeless, eternal, alive. The Word mm-hmm. of God's always relevant. Um, you know, I think it was Johnny Mac that, that said, look, if you can't get a sermon out of your zip code, do not preach it. Yeah. Mm. So, That's um, good. I mean, I think that point stands. Like, just preach the eternal timeless word and you will be god honoring in that that's right man that's that's so good uh, number five this is a big one and it aids in discipleship because expository preaching verse by verse teaches church members how to read and study the bible uh, i can't tell you how many times i've heard a guy preach a sermon and i've thought if i were just a a regular church member and I'm listening to that, I would walk away so confused because I would think, how am I supposed to read the Bible? That's how you got your answers, but I didn't know how you did that. So, But if you're going verse by verse and you're explaining it, uh, you're, you're showing the, the people how to take it apart, how to put it together, what questions to ask. Uh, and so you aid in discipleship. Uh, you demonstrate it for, uh, for your people. Uh, and then number six, just on a more practical side again, Expository preaching, it aids in sermon preparation. So, and I think this has a twofold uh, purpose. 
number one, I know what I'm going to preach, which is really helpful because I know I don't have to dig around and think, what am I going to do this week and wrestle through things? You know, I know I'm going to the next passage, but it also helps the church because they know what's coming. So they can prepare their hearts. They can read the passage ahead of time. Hey, we just finished verse 13 next week, verse 14 and following. So I'm going to read that. And that way on Sunday morning, I'm ready to go. Uh, so it helps and aids uh, a, a unity so that Sunday morning is not a big surprise. Yeah, man, that's great. And I, I think that second to last point that you made about um, exposit- expository preaching, teaching your church members how to read and study the Bible is a perfect segue in to the application portion of, mm. uh, of the episode. Um, I mean, w- w- which is true. Um, the, the best way to personally read, study, and meditate on the Word of God is to work through books sequentially you know that that whole idea of you know just tossing your bible on your bed and wherever that thing opens or closing your eyes and you know you know just picking a a random page i mean i'm I'm thankful that you're gonna read that page i'm thankful you're gonna you know read that text but that man that that is not that's not a sustainable pattern to feed and nourish your soul with the word of god um, you know, yeah. it, that may help you get by for one evening, but if we're looking for that steady, constant pattern of sanctification, it comes through sequential Bible study. Even if you never preach that text, even if you never teach that text, man, reading it and getting to the meaning of that, man, nourishes your own individual soul. And that's, that's I, I can't, uh, I can't, uh, reinforce that enough that's that's so well said and and for the guy preaching when we preach that's what we want to do first we want to read it we want to understand it and then we aim to turn around and teach it uh so that those who are in who are listening can read it and understand it i mean that's what we're aiming to do uh so yeah practically if even if you're not a preacher that's how you should read and study your bible uh another practical point is that anytime you teach scripture to someone and that can be preaching. It could be Sunday school, small groups. It could be, hey, we're, I like to sit down and study uh, a verse or a, a book of scripture together, uh, one-on-one discipleship, whatever it may be. Uh, this is the the primary means by which it should be done. It should be done when when groups get together. Let's open the Bible, let's read it, and let's understand what it says. Um, and then the next time we gather, we'll continue in that same book. Um, so that we can better understand what God has revealed to us. So uh, that's just the the pattern that should that should permeate all of our teaching and all of our study of God's word. Yeah, and practically speaking, man, we need to be looking for churches like this. You know, we need to find churches that model this type of preaching. In other words, the pulpit ministry is consistently working through books. That may mean that you you might have to drive 30, 35, 40 minutes to that church, um, but it will be well worth making that shift or making that change to find a church that models this type of preaching on Sunday morning, but also even in other ministries of of, of, of the church. Yeah, man, that's, that's right. Um, you know, I, I often tell people when you're choosing a church, if you're moving to a place or you know, maybe you have a transition in your life, or or maybe you you've just sensed that hey, my church is not being faithful, and I've I've approached the elders or the pastors or the leaders, and and uh, really struggling with this, and and not sensing that there's a, a desire to to adhere to to biblical guidance. 
uh, and you're looking for a church home, don't just pick the church that like has the style of music that you like or or that has the service time that lets you get out in time to go get lunch and beat the crap. Like that's not how we choose churches. It's not the way that we uh, covenant together and fellowship with other believers. Primary is the way in which the ministry of the word is handled. And you can best see that from the pulpit on Sunday morning. If the, if the preacher of the word reads, explains, and applies the text week in and week out, You've got a good start. Uh, if you've got that, then the other elements, the other aspects of a healthy church will naturally follow. I mean, that's what happens when the Bible is central uh, to, to corporate worship. And so if you've got that, the other things, even if they're not in place right now, the other things will come because they will be driven by Scripture. Uh, but if you don't have that, then you're, you're just the blind leading the blind at that point. So that should be the primary means by which you choose a church. Yeah, man, that's so good. Some gorgeous wisdom uh, right there from TJ Darty, man. Now, that is true though. That's what that's that's the power of the word, man. It it slowly conforms the mind and the heart to the mind and heart of God on worship, you know, which is yep. you know, this is what the series is all about, how how to worship God biblically speaking. And I mean, I think we, I think we defended and made a case for expository preaching being the most God honoring way to to preach and teach the Word of God. Um, so, I mean, yeah. any any other comments you want to make there? You want to roll right into the uh, the uh, the initiative here? Yeah, let me let me just let me just hop into my initiative because I think it'll kind of tie up my thoughts here, and then of course you can you can take us away to to close it off. Um, but just for my initiative, it's 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 one of the things that I re- try to remind myself of frequently. I've got men in my life, like yourself, who remind me of this uh, directly and indirectly, and that is simply that we should trust in the power of God's word. I mean, that's where, um, like, when I'm preaching, I don't want there to be any weight or any acknowledgement of my thoughts or or my ability to to orate or to command the room. Like, the the power comes from the Word of God, and uh, that's where I trust that through the faithful preaching of the Word of God, the Holy Spirit will take that Word and will do work uh, in the hearts of those who are hearing, whether they're unbelievers who are coming to faith in Christ or being convicted of their sin, in the very least, or whether it's believers who are being conformed more to the image of the Son. This happens through the faithful preaching and teaching of the Word of God, and so we must just trust that. So those who are preaching and teaching the Word, let the Word do the work uh, and trust that that's that's, uh, the means by which God has uh, ordained to accomplish His purposes. Yeah, that's good, man. That's good. Yeah, I mean, I think my initiative would be twofold here. One uh, would, would be an encouragement to find and get plugged into a church, you know, that that does expositional preaching. I think we've made that that point clear. Um, but but on the other hand, model that in, in your own personal Bible study and in, in yep. your own reading and um, meditating upon Scripture. Uh, make make it super practical, you know. Begin to discipline yourself to go about reading scripture uh, this particular way, and you'll—I mean—you'll see the immense benefits from it. Amen. 
Hey man, man, the, we could do this for so long and I, I've really enjoyed this conversation, but of course we're over time again. Uh, and so we need to wrap this thing up. Uh, if you're not doing so already, if you're listening to this podcast, you've made it this far, make sure you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Uh, that way you can be informed whenever we have new episodes dropping this season. Uh, you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can like us on Facebook at Reformed Informants. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at our underscore informants. And you can find links to all of the social media platforms, all of our previous episodes. You can even find some Reformed Informants gear. And you can find all of that at our website at www.themajestysmen.com slash Reformed Informants. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics of discussion, feel free to email us at reformedinformants at gmail.com. 